now. Welcome, everyone. We are back on the Sports Ball Podcast. This is your host, co-host, Ross, joined by... Sports Ball Politics Podcast. We haven't branched out of the umbrella yet, but we will. We will. Someday. Um, someday. We have more to talk about than just politics, don't we? Like today, we're going to talk about something different. We are. We are. We're actually going to lead with it. So there's a lot going on right now. There's, you know, Hurricane Harvey. There's Antifa doing exactly what we talked about two weeks ago. Uh, there's Sheriff Joe Arpaio. But one thing, uh, Steve, you brought up before the show... You and your buddy or colleague of yours were talking about, well, you know, what's going on with this economy, this bubble economy right now? Like, what? It's levitating, but for what? What is the organic reason for the economy doing so well right now? Um, you know, let, let us, lead us down the path that you and your colleague were talking about. Yeah, well, it kind of got spurred on. I'm sure a lot of people out there may listen to, at least have heard of Joe Rogan, and he has one of the more popular podcasts that are out there in general. And I'm a, I'm a frequent listener, and I was listening to one of the more recent ones with Peter Thiel. Oh, uh, like him, like him. Yeah, pay, PayPal fame, uh, finance recently, the Hulk Hogan against... Uh, uh, Gawker? Gawker, yep. uh, Gawker.com lawsuit that ended up putting Gawker out of business. So, you know, he's a very successful entrepreneur businessman in the United States. So he came on for about three hours with Joe Rogan. And a couple of things that they touched on that I want to bring up is, number one, Puerto Rico. And apparently Puerto Rico, which is a U.S. territory but not state, um, people might have heard it, which is a good tie-in also to the economy stuff we're going to talk about. You might have heard of it recently, is that they are – uh, in a lot of debt. They're up to their ears in debt, right? Yep. Um, and Peter Thiel's kind of thesis was, well, they, it's because of all the socialism that's been going on there, kind of like uh, what you see in a lot of our major cities, Chicago, San Francisco, right? A lot of these democratically, uh, you know, liberal-run mayors and cities who have all these fantastic, with my fingers in quotations, and progressive ideas, but that has also landed them Deeply, deeply in debt. Yep. Um, to the point where you know its its services are being shut down. You know it, it, it's a real big problem. So he brought up Puerto Rico, which is very interesting because one of the things that Puerto Rico has done um, in the in the you know recent kind uh, <clears throat> of recent past is they they put it they put out an effort. Let's call it their economic development agency has put out an effort to recruit entrepreneurs and U.S. businessmen to move themselves and move their businesses to Puerto Rico. And they've done so by lowering the tax rate so low where, you know, for example, um, you know, you know, this guy, Peter Thiel's fund managers, he moved them there and immediately because of the tax break, they double their income. Really? So they were working in California where they're one of these sanctuary states uh, that is deeply, deeply in debt, billions of dollars, where you as a taxpayer are attached to that. Correct. Plus, on top of, if you're in one of these states that's deeply in debt, Illinois, California, soon to be Massachusetts, who just had their bond rating, which we talked about here. Um, if, you're, if you live in one of those states, what people don't really understand or they do and they don't talk about or they don't think about is that you're not only tied to your state debt, but you as a citizen are actually attached to the federal debt as well. And that's one of the things that we're going to get into shortly. 
uh, about what you know, you know, getting through and first talking about Puerto Rico to Joe Rogan, and you know how he's moved there personally. Uh, he, he sees the tax benefits immediately, and what he's talking about, it kind of gets into the Puerto Rico thing, is how they can solve their problem, and it's with more entrepreneurs and with better people bringing jobs, right? Because of these type. Uh, incentives that they're offering rather than the alternative, which is going on right now. There's a big push for statehood. Maybe you've heard of that, Ross. Have yep. you heard that Puerto Rico recently is pushing for statehood? They do. And, every every couple of years or so, they, they have a renewed push. That's right. And, and kind of what Peter Thiel's saying is that that's what a horrible idea. You know, they understand why they're doing it because it's a big bailout, right? That's yep. what they're looking for. Is they're looking for a big bailout. They're looking for more, you know, gimme, gimme, gimme without working where he said, you know, I'm the opposite. Uh, the, the real solution to this is what we're bringing in here, not what a failed, you know, socialist, uh, you know, uh, idealism will, that, that they're looking to bring in. And then he reminds us, hmm, actually... The people in Puerto Rico, the citizens, rich, poor, who are tied to that nation's or that state's territory, however you look at it, that's tied to their debt as a nation is actually less per capita than all of us in the 50 states with our cumulative debt, right? We owe more per U.S. citizen than the, uh, at, the average Puerto Rican of Puerto Rico owe their debt, right? Wow. Which is staggering. And that's what gets us, you know, eventually we'll get into our debts and what we yeah. owe and how it's just crazy to me how this doesn't leave the news every day. This is why news is fake news, right? Yep. Because this should be the headline leading out every single day. What are we doing about this? Right, um, right. And this is where politicians have let us down. They've continued to let us down. And this is where I will absolutely take the hammer to Donald Trump. And it's one of the things that we talk about personally, how we wish that these idiot liberals would get out of the way. Because if they stop talking about Russia, like it's Marsha Brady, right? Marsha, yeah. Marsha, Marsha. And if, you know, if they, and they stop, you know, putting all these things out there that are making him, you know, calling him a Nazi and, you know, the same thing that, that Hillary did that lost the election, right? It's just, it's a continuance of that. People like us, I feel like, would not have to feel like they have to defend him on ridiculous points, and we would be open enough to let his blunders speak for themselves, where people like us who consider in the middle would absolutely, you know, if you want to say, go after him or hold him accountable. Right, exactly, right. exactly. And this so is where... All these things we're unpacking, I'm throwing a lot out there, but so let's go back. So that's another really interesting thing to understand, and this is what he's laying out, is that, again, the people of that country or that state or territory, they actually owe less per person to their debt, as much as it is in horrible and the big scary scenario, than we as Americans owe to ours. So how crazy that's, is that? That's so, crazy. Now, the first thing, and that's what his point was, is that it, it, what, if the, the idea of them actually, you know, theoretically wanting to become a state is the equivalent of trying to get on and buy a, 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 a seat on the sinking Titanic. Yep. Yep. Right? It's not even out port before it's caught right. with the foresight, right? It, it, you now are, you are now absolutely buying seats on the sinking Titanic because as soon as they get in, Right. As soon as they get in to the statehood, they are absolutely every one of those citizens now becomes one of us. And they're attached to not only their debt, but they're attached to our debt. Right. Right. right? 
why would you do that? Um, you you would think that you would figure out a way to you know have all the benefits that they have. They're allowed to travel just like we are. Uh, U.S. passport, do the things that they do. They don't have to, but they can take advantage of the low taxes because all of that would change, right? As soon as you now become liable to the quote unquote federal government. All that, uh, you know, incentivized that, that brought people like Peter Thiel there, that now changes. Right, exactly. It now becomes one huge sanctuary country, almost. Right. Right? Right. So, so that's one, that's, that's, that's a really interesting thing. I'm going to look more into the Puerto Rico thing, business-wise, you know, opening business incentives, you know, maybe even, um, you know, go as far as looking at what it would take to buy, you know, and look at my prime residence being there. Mm. Uh, as as we start looking at you know more money coming in the till uh, from the business side and you know looking to become savvy because that's just a real quick plane flight right that's uh, that's not much and if we're talking about doubling income you know that can get sizable if, if you can start making some coin right that's true that's true and it's still a beautiful country I mean my my college roommates from Puerto Rico and you know he would always show pictures and share like where he he lived and everything and it's a beautiful area it's not like a destitute area like Haiti where everyone's impoverished and there's just so much poverty and blah 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 it's still a beautiful country question is are they doing the same thing that Greece did are they doing the same thing the United States did Portugal Spain all these beautiful countries because they're so indebted into a, a, a an economic lifestyle that's not feasible that's right. And I think the part that where you said the per capita for them, for them, for each citizen is um, – oh, I'm watching the Red Sox game. Ugh, jumps out of the baseline. Okay, anyway. Um, it, for, stay focused, Ross. First, stay focused. Stay focused. Stay with us, uh, You stay focused. Um, so <laughs> it's funny. To the passing headline, and I'm guilty of that as well because I was one of the people saying, ha-ha, Puerto Rico, you're about to go bankrupt. You know, eat shit for your stupid policy. And then you drop this fact on me about how the per capita of debt is higher in the United States. That shows our profligacy. That shows our inability of government to keep spending in check. And I do well, remember – On top of that, right? Let's actually unpack what you're talking about because it gets deeper, right? It, it, for the first time in our history, right? One, one step actually back. One of the big things hugely important about our constitution is it guarantees that we will not as a country become insolvent. Yep. Right. It's, it guarantees that we will pay our debts. It's one of the reasons why we can continue to print money and, uh, you know, and, and continue to, you know, print bonds and why, you know, other nations continue to buy our debt. Right. It's because, it's because of those, th that little fact right there. Right. So what's scary is that for the first time ever, we're within about three to five trillion dollars of uh, becoming insolvent, right? Mm -hmm. And that is, you know, and I encourage, I know you've seen this, people who are going to listen to go to usdebtclock.org if you haven't seen it, and it becomes kind of a staggering thing. You don't know what you're looking at, but it's a breakdown of what we owe, uh, you know, what are, what in the budget are we, are we paying that out to uh, as, as far as a country? Un, you know, the big thing which we'll get into is unfunded liabilities, but currently we're running at about $19.9 trillion in debt. Right. Yep. Uh, we only bring in, I think, about two point five trillion dollars in taxes every year from all of us from doing what we do. Right. Yep. And what they do is, is, you know, they keep they keep raising that debt ceiling. That's one of the big things that Trump's not talking about is, you know, it, it, this is the big debate. Right. You can't 
you have to shrink government. That's the whole point. And you can't shrink government by just funding the liabilities down the road. You have to do it by actually cutting people. And that's why I think a lot of us voted for him. And, you know, when people are panicking and freaking out about things like Betsy DeVos and the, you know, Department of Education and running that, she's not qualified. Of fucking course she's not qualified, right? <laughs> That's right. the point. What she's qualified to do is to come in there and absolutely cut the shit out of things like the Department of Education, which is spun completely out of control. Completely out of control. Yep. And if you have kids like you in the public school systems across this country, you get a first-hand taste of that, you do. right? Yep. Um, so, and so let's go back to, you know, the scary thing is that we're about three to five trillion dollars from becoming insolvent. And what that is, is looking at not only what we bring in in taxes, but then looking at what our liabilities are and in then adding in what we are cumulatively worth with our assets. Right. And that is real estate across the country, which is what I can get into about twenty five trillion in real estate. Uh, actually, probably somewhere around 30 to 40 with residential and commercial put in together. Um, but what, what you have is even when you add up our assets, you add up what we bring in as far as, uh, you know, the revenue, about two and a half trillion in taxes now. That is coming dangerously close to what we owe, right? Not only what we owe, but what's even more scary is that what is, if you underappreciate this, what is what is the cost? of paying down that debt, right? right? And that's the scary thing because historically interest rates are usually normally, quote unquote, in a healthy economy somewhere between five and 10%. That's normal, right? right? Yep. We have artificially, and we've talked about this, the of money, we have kept the, the rates so low, and this is something I hadn't put together until I had this conversation. We've kept, the, kept, kept these rates so low you know, you know, the things that they sell, right? Well, it's important because, you know, home ownership and cars and we need to keep the economy going. Well, the biggest thing that they don't want to talk about is the $2 trillion or the $20 trillion in debt that we have. And what is the cost of that debt, right? What are the payments that we pay on that debt? Yep. And that is currently at the interest rates about $2 trillion a year. So correct. So if you well, if you look, I now, hold on. Now let me put one more number up. Yep. Let's say we go up to that. If they raise interest rates, which they have small little pips, right, in a couple times this year. But if they brought them back up, because this is where inflation comes in. If we keep them so low for so long, and you want to look at what happened and what inflation looks like, go look at Venezuela right now, right? Yeah. Where people are, they they're they're spending their entire week's salary and can't even buy a week's worth of food. Right. Because the prices keep you know keep skyrocketing up. So this is that's what that looks like. And if we raised, if the if the if the if the the Fed raised the interest rates between to that five to ten percent, we would be looking at just the debt service alone on our current debt somewhere between four and five trillion dollars, which wipes out any tax revenue the government gets. All that. So all of that, right? That that that's just now. Remember, people don't understand what that means. That is just think of when you when you have a mortgage or you or you have a car payment, you're paying interest on that, right? So you're not just paying the principal, or depending on the structure of your loan, you're paying principal, but a lot of times you're paying the debt. They front they front load that sometimes the banks or whoever's giving you the loan, right? It's all kinds of ways, but it's called the debt servicing, right? So yep. currently our debt servicing is about two trillion dollars on the twenty that we 
IPO yep. at the current interest rate. At the current and interest rate, yep. If and when the Fed, because they will need to do this, because that's what happens when inflation, you keep the, the rate so low, you keep printing money, eventually the game is up. Yep. Right? It always yep. happens. You can't continue to do it. So how do you do that inflation as you raise interest rates? Well, when you don't just raise interest rates on John and Jane, the homeowner and car payment, you're also doing that on our national debt that we all are all attached to. That's also local and state debts too, don't forget. Correct. So if you can understand what we're talking about here, the problem is fucking monumental. And it's staring us in the face, and all we're talking about is Donald Trump and what he is as a Nazi because he won't condemn what? He won't our condemn... Country being, <laughs> our country is being taken away from us. Supremacists, it's not from any of that. It's from horrible policy, and it's from, you know, as Peter Thiel put out, you know, the best thing that we could have done during our last downturn is we should have let those banks fail. Yep. And it would have been really hard. The, the United States, we as a people, it would have been hard. It would have been tough. But, you know, and that's what is wrong with politics. And I think, again, another reason why people like Trump is because politics is so about getting elected and human beings. Right. This is what's so fucking sad about us as people is that we've we've created this life where pain is bad. We do anything for comfort and good and good feelings. And it reminds me of that movie, uh, you know, where, what is it, that robot movie? It's a cartoon. Wally, you know, Wally. Wally, right? It, it's so Wally. And, and there's the dangers of that. We are those people in that spaceship. And yep. we are sitting there and we are fat and we're slovenly, literally and figuratively. And we're not understanding that sometimes pain is good, pain is necessary. Right, pain is necessary to learn and to and to go on. We've done nothing to prolong that huge crash that came in two thousand seven, and it's going to be bigger the next time it comes around. Yep, of course it is. Of course it is. So, and, and, and just and just the you know these the stuff that we're talking about. This is how it's going to happen, right? It's kind of like what happened in twenty nine as the as the these companies started failing and the stock started going. The real real problem, right? The 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 the, the gas that that just totally exploded the whole thing was all those people buying on margin, right? Yep. So I have a dollar, but the banks are allowing me to buy at ten dollars using that dollar. So they're going to start calling in the margins. Yep. Right. So here's the big indicator, right? This is what we talked about, uh, me and my partner. And we'll put this out there as a prediction. The prediction is that, you know, and this happens all the time, is the U.S., you know, creating these bonds and selling them out to the international market. And I think what you're going to see is some of these international players are going to go, fuck you, not buying them. Interesting. Right. And so that will kind of be a little light, you know, news story that you might catch is like for the first time, like, you know, the international buyers pass on U.S. bonds. Yep. And that's going to be the, the trigger, I believe. So that's when so for those that are less adept, what are some of the big international buyers that we have to watch out for? Sovereign nations, China's right? Biggest, right. China, us and China, since NAFTA, we've had that great agreement where it's essentially you rip all of our manufacturing away from all across our country, in the smallest places to the biggest. Set up your factories. Give us all the cheap shit. We become a service economy and just buy stuff, right? The Wally economy, we'll call it. Yep. We love that, Ross. That's ours now. The Wally economy. The Wally economy. The slovenly Wally economy. That's right. That's right. 
So, uh, so, 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 so you're saying, just so I can play it back, you're saying you and your colleague talked about how China, and you and I, again, we've, we all, we've, we've talked about this for years, right? Where China is eventually going to say, screw you, we're done, we're no longer buying your bonds, your treasuries. Uh, and this yeah, no, let me tell you, in, in adding on to that, and this is something that you follow, and you, we've talked about it, I don't know on the podcast, but it's on top of we're not buying your debt, your bonds, right, your fiat bullshit that's not backed by anything, but we've been stacking gold. Yep. When your currency and your inflation goes through the roof, right? Yeah. You guys have no gold. We have all the gold. We have all your debt. We have all the gold. Correct. And what's the other thing that's close to your heart? What else are they buying up? Real estate. Real estate. And, you know, and also, and I think we have talked about this, they've been very smart in Africa, right, the continent of Africa. What they've done is they've been buying our debt. They've been taking U.S. cash because we've been printing fucking so much of it with quantitative easing over the past, what, 10 years since since the crash? About eight, yeah, about eight years in, yeah. Q, three rounds of QE, yeah. Yeah, so, the, so, the, so China buys all that up happily, they bring it out into the international marketplace and when a, a, a an iron mine or a copper mine or, you know, one of these things that makes technology like silica, when that comes up for sale or they go create it and they find it in Africa and the bids come in at fifty million US, China swoops in for a hundred and fifty at uh, two hundred times, five hundred times the next bidder. And it's just not even a competition. So that's what they've been doing for the past 10 years globally, buying up resources because they are a very resource-poor country, as we know. Right. Exactly. Right. And this is how – this is, and this goes to – I mean, this is – we can this can be the topic of future episodes. But, like, this is um, the, the future multipolar world we're going to be in where the United States is going to face decline if Trump can't get it on track. And instead of everyone falling together and there being a new leader, it's going to be a multipolar world where the United States falls back into line and China, Russia, India. It's almost like you're you're vying for supremacy but not achieving it because money-wise you're not in a position to do it. So the years of United States as a dominant unipolar what have you, those days are gone. And even if Hillary won. Not gone yet, right? Because we still have, you know, the fake it to make it, right? The pose, right? We still have that. We still spend all of this, even though it's fake. You know, we still have the weapons. We still have the military. Um, you know, and, and that's where it's almost like, you know, in some ways, you, it's, Jesus, such a weird world, right, that you're thanking us. But it's thankful that we have our NSA and we have all these securities in place where, you know, the, 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 the new wars of the 21st century are not on the battlefield of old with human beings and weapons, right? It's, yep. it's now with, with drones, and it's what Obama – Obama declared war on Russia during the beginning of his second term. And people don't know this. They don't talk about this, but these are the new wars. And what that was – was he, you know, he essentially manipulated the price of oil and he brought that down just low enough to where he knew that it was it was too expensive for Russia to extract it out of their, uh, you know, their wells and, and put it into the marketplace. And low, but low enough that you can't get the same revenues you used to get, right? That's right. Listen, 
listen, guys, it's it's not, you know, you don't have to be a brilliant scientist or politician or you don't have to even follow along. You just have to be paying attention and use common sense to recognize when we have this oil man in called George Bush Jr. For his eight years, there was a time, if everybody remembers, that we were paying almost $5 a gallon for oil. And some people in the oil businesses, i.e. his whole family, got really, really rich. Yep. Right? Well, isn't that kind of interesting as this new president named Obama comes in and he starts throwing these sanctions around, how all of a sudden oil goes to $2.10 a gallon at the pump? Yeah, uh, you, mean, you mean gas, right? I'm sorry. Yep. Gas, right. The refined gas. Right. So just to, just to, just to, barrels of oil drop precipitously. just to level set. So oil almost hit 150 in the summer of 2008 under Bush. Um, there you go. Oil crashed with the economy in 2008. A lot of people don't remember. That was what dragged most of it down. It's not like if, if oil dropped as low as I think $25 a barrel, maybe lower. Um, and it wasn't because the demand crashed as crazy as it did. It's because all the manipulation took, took place. It was no longer happening. Um, we tapped our strategic reserves, but we were in a global economic crash. Again, it's not like our demand went down by, you know, one by 90% because you would think the price would go with it. It wasn't that it's the fact that everything went down, but go on with what you were saying when Obama came in. Well, so that's the war that we declared on Russia, and that's what we have. We declared a war on them economically uh, through manipulating the price of oil on the international marketplace, which, yep. by the way, is obviously we still run it with the, with the petrodollar, right? The U.S. dollar is still why people have to stack cash globally to buy oil. Because everybody needs oil. Every country, every government needs oil, and they know that, right? Uh, so... So that's important because that's the type of wars that we see now. Um, right. You know, if anything, if anything, the only conspiracy theory that I've heard, and you can connect it to Trump and the Rex Tillerson thing, is that Russia would have manipulated the election in order to remove the sanctions that Obama put on him in that last regime because it has absolutely decimated his country, no right. doubt. And, it, and, and, you know, why I have respect for people like him, Putin uh, is that he is a leader, whether you like him or not, he is a leader that tells his people the truth, maybe not about all things, and there are different things that he does with his government, right? But one thing that he did is he recognized what was happening with Obama, and what he did is he went on personally to state television, and he told his people what was happening. He told his people that, the, you know, that the you know, the international, you know, coalition led by the United States was artificially manipulating the price of oil, which is how they all know that their country survives and their economy and that everybody should get ready for it to be brutal. Yep. And he told his people that. Now, maybe, now, maybe you're allowed to do that as a dictator and that's what politicians understand because you know you can do that and you're not going anywhere. Um, I get that, so that's not necessarily a good thing, but I do like the fact that he's telling his people the truth. I the transparency of that. When do you hear, you know, Trump, Obama, Bush, you know, whatever, whoever, Democrat or Republican, when do they say we need to tighten our belts, things are going to be real shitty, we're going to be out, we're going to come out better at the end of it, but it's going to be real crappy for the next 18 months. You never hear U.S. politicians say that. Putin, Putin, to your point, Putin said... It, it, almost to those words, it's going to be a shitty two years. And he said this in about 
a year, like end of 2015, early 2016, he said this. We are being played and manipulated by the United States, for better or worse. It's going to be a shitty two years, but Russians are able to live on a, on a tighter budget than Americans. So they're able to weather the storm better. We cannot. You know, the second there's a hurricane in town, the shelves go bare. There's no people that prep in the United States. I mean, there, there are, but they're less than 1%. People don't prepare. They're just, they like to be caught unaware because that's like a fetish for us. Uh, Russians aren't like that. Russians are more prepared for the bad. They prepare for extreme situations. Putin talks to them like Russians. Uh, they're, they're direct with each other. United States, you just like to keep talking positive and you never want to hear. goes back to your original point. We never want to hear about pain. So, so what happens when all of shit go, you know, shit goes sideways, stuff hits the fan. We're not in a better position than, say, a Russian or a Chinese person or an Indian person where there's more destitute living conditions. We are the bratty Americans that don't know what happens. I mean, I remember when Hurricane Sandy hit, we were out of power for about six hours. And we're like, fuck it. We're getting a hotel. Out. And this is, this is being self-aware. And, and, you know, I... They're not like that in Russia. No, you know, that's why I also talk about uh, the same type of thing. I had a lot of respect in this aspect for Fidel Castro because he understood the same thing, but it was very much more public as they you know, allowed Russia to point missiles at us, right, back in the day. Um, but, you know, we put, we put major embargoes uh, and sanctions on Cuba, and that's recently Obama just lifted those, but, right, but what that led to is Fidel Castro, the new leader of that country, same thing, very similar to Putin, but this was back decades ago. He went on to the state radio after those were enacted, and he said, everyone right now, I'm telling you, every citizen, every single square inch of your yard or what's around you where you live, start growing your own food. Yep. Start growing. It will it will help you. We'll give you seeds, right? Like, we're encouraging you, and this is what the mandate is, because he knew what was about to happen, right? It's the same thing that's happening in socialist, uh, you know, Venezuela right now, where everything's cut off, supply lines cut off, and it's it's over. Yep, exactly, exactly. Now that's a very uh, provocative statement, but I can see how uh, you know, just informing your 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 people, your civilians, to just be more woke, be more aware. Of what's happening? I mean, we we talk about stacking gold and silver. We talk about having you know you have chickens, you have a mini farm on your hands. You're self-sustaining. Um, people don't do not that. Not by mistake, by the way. Not by mistake. You know, and it's not a hundred percent obviously because I'm, I'm waiting and preparing for doomsday. But you know, I'll tell you, um, it's not out of the back of my mind. Yeah, you've been you've been planning this for a while, right? I've been thinking about it, yeah, absolutely. We talked, we talked a couple of years ago about even further out bug-out places somewhere in Central America, South America. So this is maybe, this could be merely phase one for you, right? Oh, absolutely. We're talking about Uruguay in that, in that yep. aspect. Yeah. Hey, yep. maybe it's Puerto Rico now. I'm actually going to be looking into the Puerto Rico thing after uh, you know listening to Peter Thiel here, if that's all real, especially if they'll stay out of uh, becoming a state. They can get past that. Yeah, get pa- you know get past that. Stay where you are. It's not it's not a Puerto Rico bash session. They're still salvageable. But why the hell would you sign up for 20 million 20 trillion of debt? All of our shitty economic conditions. And this all goes back to why 
you know, people look to Trump anyway. He's a businessman. He's not a politician that, that keeps, you know. that's what we need. I'm sorry, that's what we need because, hold on, we're going to bring this right back here for a second, right? Because what we've talked about, the scary stuff, this is what we're on the hook for, right? The the the, the liabilities and, and all of the debts that we have, that's stuff that we've We've already spent twenty trillion in debt, right? Sorry, already paid. We owe it. Uh, and on top of that, we've talked about, um, you know, if we raise interest rates and all that, what that's going to cost. Okay. Now that's a problem. We've just discussed that. We spent twenty minutes discussing it. Let's talk about the bigger problem. If that doesn't scare everybody enough, okay? The bigger problem in our country is what's called unfunded liabilities, also things that you can find on the U.S. debt clock, right? Yep. These are things that are projected out and down the road, things that we've promised for that we haven't yet allocated the money, where it's going to come from, who it's going to come from, which, do you know what that number is in the United States? And if you can hear the laughter that's about to come out of my voice, there's no other reason or thing that I could do besides cry. Yeah. When I when I understand, and you can go and anyone can see this, usdebtclock.org. Do you know what that number is, Ross? Of unfunded liabilities just here in the United States. So that's things like pensions for public school teachers, things that we have promised these people, and a lot of them have been have been paying into social security for people like us, right? As it's taking care of, of this generation. I, I would say that, that, yes, that number is going to be over $200 trillion. Okay. That was uh, maybe I want my number in stat that I was looking at was $100 trillion. No, double, whatever number you're seeing, double it. Wow. Double it. Do you think it's 200? 200 trillion. 200 trillion. It's so laughable. And if you understand what that means, right? And, and, and it's it's not laughable because it's our generations. It's all of those pensions and things that those people have been thinking that they're going to get someday, yeah. right? And they're depending on that. Like that's their retirement. That's their savings. That's all of these things that just doesn't exist. Yep. It's not going to exist. Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, yeah, you're right. The number is really 107.3 trillion unfunded based on gap accounting. Non-gap accounting is over $220 trillion. So this, okay, so this is where much more in your field, right? So, okay, the number that they're giving us is the 107 trillion, which I said. Okay, yeah, so which is fine. Let's quote, even if we quote that, that, it's still a gross number. Disgusting right, number. Well, think of it again, like, you know, we're 20 trillion in debt, right? The cost of, the cost with this low interest rate just to pay down that debt, the debt servicing is about 2 trillion. We make as a country, and we bring in 2.5 trillion a year, and all of these politicians keep doing is they're not curbing spending, right? They keep raising the debt ceiling. They keep kicking it down the curb in spending and putting more money on the hook. Right. Right. And that and that's cowardice 101, right? So, can I give you an anecdotal story? That's you know, I want, well, before you jump off, I want to explain because I want to understand because I don't really get it. Try to do it as best as you can in the most layman terms. A hundred million dollars, hundred seven trillion. I'm sorry, in unfunded liabilities. But you say they're using something called gap accounting. Yeah, and and I'm I'm no accounting guy. I'm more finance. But I will say, general accepted accounting principles is the corporate, almost like the national standard of how we measure. In accounting terms, you know, uh, assets, liabilities, balance sheets, all the, that's the general accounting language. 
So that's the generally accepted way of pricing things out um, and, and valuing a government, valuing a balance sheet. Uh, and that's a disgusting number. I mean, it's a really disgusting number. And, and if, if our GDP every year is about $15 trillion, that is nine years. That's, that's, that's really eight years of, of us just getting, getting a GDP of 15, million, uh, 15 trillion and then paying all of, all of that towards a debt without, without offsetting that with anything. Eight years of just being in the red just to wipe that out. Not spending out a cent. That's that's to, if you want to keep your unfunded liabilities at zero, you have to have eight years of fifteen trillion dollar GDP, and none of it go out to anyone except paying down unfunded liabilities. That's disgusting. It seems like, it seems like unfeasible. It does, you see what I'm saying? Like you just add common sense, and you go, "Well, what does that? What does that mean? Like, what does that look like?" And it just doesn't seem real. It doesn't seem real. And and again, apologies if it was a little sloppy the way I rolled it out. But think about it. Eight. You go if the United States economy does 15 trillion of business every year. Imagine if you could cash all of that out into a bank account, where it just sits in cash. You do that eight years in a row. But you don't pay a single cent to anybody except this fictitious account called the unfunded liabilities account. That's eight years where your economy is doing nothing but creating and then paying into this account to wipe out something. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's wow. disgusting. That's disgusting. Wow. So, so, so can, I, can I give my anecdotal here? Absolutely. So I live um, about an hour north of Philadelphia. And it's been all over That's the news. It. You're only an hour north. That seems like you're pretty close. Like you could pop in there, like you're in Duxbury, going into Boston. Of course I could. Of course wow, I, I could. No, I thought you were way more like in the sticks. No way. No, absolutely not. We're 20 minutes from the Jersey border. Um, so which, there's a lot of really rural parts of Jersey. So that's not a great uh, example. That's true. That's fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but but what's going on a big deal out here is the soda tax in Philadelphia. So Mayor Jim Kenney in Philadelphia said, instead of doing something like cutting government spending, cutting state spending, cutting city spending, uh, cutting welfare spending, cutting any type of spending, he said, well, let's do the coward's way out that politicians always do. Let's just raise taxes on something. So they've already, they've already you know, got all the blood from the stone that is taxing rich people. Let's tax the city a soda tax. So for every ounce of soda consumed, an additional fat ass tax is applied and levied so that this goes to fund the city budget gap. It helps wipe out the city budget gap. So what has happened is now the cost in levies per ounce is about 10 to 25 times that of alcohol. And now there is a situation developing where people are not buying soda in the city. They're not closing their budget gap. Pepsi and Coca-Cola are now laying off employees. Great. And on top of all that, the revenue projection is 49% of what it should be. 
So it's failing on four fronts because they, instead of taking the courageous approach of cutting bloat from their city budget, they're now raising taxes to something that disproportionately affects poor people, right? Right. That's right. Um, you know, rich people are drinking Perrier. They're drinking, you know, the filtered water, what have you. Poor people drink soda. I don't care what color you are. You're drinking soda because it's cheap. But now it's more expensive. So in a 16, 24-ounce bottle, you're now paying, I want to say, 10 to 15% tax per ounce. So wow. now, so what used to cost a dollar, you know, now costs about two to three dollars. And if that's part of something that you you're feeding your children, I don't know why you're giving them something that's not free like water. Um, but that's your own problem. But but now soda has been, now it's more expensive than beer if you're to if you know like for like a six pack. So you know it's it's now forcing people to get their their soda outside of the city. Um, it's you know, it's forcing people to not even do business in the city because they're so pissed off about it. So now the city of Philadelphia is suffering because of it. And now poor people are more impoverished. Um, it's not bringing in the revenue. Uh, and it's making Philly even more of a joke. And it's just, it's pissed. I have a lot of my friends are in the city and they're pissed off because it's making them look bad. They now have to bear the brunt of it. So you're, if you're in... If you're a corporate stiff, you're probably making good money. And if you're living in a city, who has to bear that brunt? Well, you know, the people that are not able to pay taxes are not going to contribute to it. It's really the people that live in the city. And they've already been taxed to death. So now they're going to be taxed even more. And this is going back and tying it into Peter Thiel is he used to be in Connecticut, like a lot of really, really rich people who didn't want to be in New York City, right? Yeah. Uh, for their business and living. They could be in Connecticut and have a sprawling estate and be an hour outside, like where you are. And so the, the state of Connecticut has gone so liberal and so crazy uh, to one side, and they're so, they don't care. All that, all that they've been saying and touting and getting elected on is, oh, we have a budget shortfall of a billion dollars in Connecticut. Let's tax rich people and raise the corporate rate. So you know what the corporations did? They left. How do you think we got GE in Boston? They left. Where did people like Peter Thiel go? So now you have all of those same debts that you've been saying, let's charge these people, let's charge the rich people. The rich people are gone. The suckers who still live there are still there with all of those debts. Who's paying for that? The people that are left with the bag. That's right. So it, it comes down to, you know, again, this is what Peter Thiel was. It always comes down to policy, right? And, you know, and this is where I wish Donald Trump would not take, uh, you know, giving him criticism. I hate when he comes out and he says, hey, look at how great the economy is and the record-breaking uh, stock market. Yeah, you know what? Look at the camera and tell the people the fucking truth, Donald. Tell them, right. that, tell them that we owe $20 trillion, our unfunded liabilities with gap, without gap accountings at $200 trillion, right? To be, a, be a real leader. You, you know, Be what the lefties say you are and that you love Putin and take a page out of his book and tell the people the truth. Right. You know what I mean? Because let me tell you what's going to happen. I'll give you another prediction. We should be keeping track of these because we've been pretty, pretty damn straight right. Of course. Here's a prediction. Donald Trump, when they pull the rug out from the economy or it just naturally runs out of steam on its own, which it will during your presidency, 
they're going to blame you. Exactly. And they're going to run all of the fucking clips of you on all of your tours and all of your radio shows and interviews talking about how it's your economy, right? Right. What you did inherit, and this is where I will go to bat for you, is you inherited an absolute pile of shit from Obama who inherited an absolute pile of shit from Bush. Right. Back-to-back right? so piles of shit. It's very bipartisan. It's not just one or the other. It's not right. a blah, blah, blah. It's, not a bo- it's both, right? That's how, again, where we all get started, Ross, where you and I get started, is that we're in the middle because we look at both these parties as working together in complete corporate globalist shills. Right. Big-face motherfuckers. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So part of me, part of me, I mean, you, you and I have been saying from day one, Trump, I mean, the economy is still in a bubble. The Dow is still at 22,000. Uh, it's a 20% gain since he took office. Um, I find it very, very funny. Obama, under Obama, the Dow hit 19,999.63. He never hit 20,000 under his term. Donald Trump gets in there and uh, it, it goes through the roof. 18, 20% return. However... This is where you and I are honest brokers. It's not because Donald Trump has done anything. It's because there's a confidence about him that they think he can do something. And it's still a bubble economy. We still know that we were... Hold on, let me pause you, and I don't mean to interrupt. Yeah. So go back. But let me, let's be fair. The one thing that Donald Trump has been railing on on his campaign, and he's been doing his damnedest to you know enact this is to get out all of the illegal aliens i.e people not paying right because he does understand he's not telling us but he knows the numbers that we've been talking about for the past 45 minutes he knows these numbers so what is some of the common sense solution create more taxpayers yes how do you create more taxpayers you create more jobs, more jobs, more taxpayers, more taxes being paid. That's the only way that you can solve this problem. It's not that fucking complicated. You don't have to be an MIT math major to come out and create an instrument to figure that shit out. It's very basic. Correct. Right? The other side of the equation, you can call them a racist, you can call them whatever you want, is to get the people who are illegal, which have gives us, if you're illegal here, we have no way of charging you tax correct we don't we don't we have no mechanism for that the only mechanisms we have are the other bullshit taxes we have to pay if you're actually paying for shit at a store right and things like that but that's a very small percentage of what you should be paying and what you're using the services while you're here right and are there ben- they're getting benefits that are a cost to the economy a cost what we can't afford. It's just very simple. Go back and look at the numbers. We can't afford it. Everyone that's saying that we can afford it, you're bleeding your liberal heart out. You just fucking don't know the facts and you're a loser. I'm sorry. Yep. Like, go look up the facts, become an adult, and come back and talk to us. Right. Right. So let's let's play that forward. Um, so say, you know, we say there's 11, 12 million illegals here. Say that number gets cut in half. You've now gotten rid of 5 million, 5.5 million that were a drain on our government largesse. They were a drain on expenses. They weren't paying into the system, right? So you close the gap there. Um, The country becomes safer. Uh, You lower the corporate tax rate. 
you bring those co companies that left back into the United States, they do business, they pay tax revenue, you close some of the loopholes, you start a certain buzz going in the United States economy, suddenly you're closing these budget gaps. Suddenly you're taking in more taxes, tax revenue. Suddenly the 20 trillion debt reduces to 19.2 trillion. Then right. and, sudden, and suddenly you recognize, and people recognize you have brought in people like DeVos is a great example to not run the Department of Education, but cut that motherfucker in half if not end it completely. Right. Right. And you... Tonight, Charlie. I'm done paying for it. I'm done. Send it back to the states. Send it back to the states. You know, for a hundred, for almost 200 years in this country, almost 200 years, we fucking figured out a way to take care of education locally. Yep. Everywhere. Everywhere. From small schoolhouses and rural towns all the way into major cities, they did it locally. There was no Department of Education. And some fucking how we got here. Somehow, before we figured out the Department of Education, we, like, we, we had the Industrial Revolution. We had all these really great things that led to all these other great things. And it didn't happen because of the Department of Education. Was there. I'll tell you that right now. Well, that's good. That's the libertarian play, right? So it says, it says don't rely on a, on a federalized system or a, a bureaucracy. We were able to survive just fine without it. Okay. So, so for us to now unwind it, I mean, we were still achieving in the in the 60s and 70s, right? We still were churning out brilliant NASA scientists in the 60s, 70s, 50s, and 40s to get us on the moon. Um, you know, all this stuff together. We, we act, and this is the, the debate we constantly have with liberals who just love big government. They say they don't like it, but they love it. They don't understand that life can exist without a government bureaucracy with red tape that makes everything slower, dumber, less efficient. It's the same, it's the same, so, so let me, we're not going to talk about Harvey today, but this goes along with what you're saying. So we talk about how this time around with Harvey, as awful as it is, we're doing better managing it. And why is that? Because FEMA got the fuck out of the way. FEMA said, I am here to help, but let the local and state and city governments tell us what we need to do to help. Oh, wow. Amazing how that works. Whereas with Katrina, FEMA said, everybody get out of the way. We're running the show here. They didn't know where the hell the bodies were being cooped up. They didn't know where the hell the roads were to access certain utilities. They didn't know their ass from their elbow. But the local and state governments during Katrina said, what the hell are you doing? Rely on us. We will show you the way. Now... Fast forward 12 years almost to the day, and as bad as Harvey is, 2005 would have been a shit show in 2017 terms. Oh, wow. And Russ, let's connect the dots, right? Let's look at, let's connect the dots on this, because this is all along the same spectrum. Boston bombing. Yep. Right? Fucking feds come in, they roll in tanks like it's goddamn Iraq. We've been talking, we, we continue to talk about this, right? Yep. Into Newton, into downtown Boston. They lock the city down for days. It's a ghost town in downtown Boston. I was in the North End. It was one of the fucking eeriest things in the world, right? Yep. Yep. You find these two fucking losers, these yep. fucking two idiot losers, 
They lock down an entire city and everybody does it compliantly. No problem as they roll tanks into the fucking city as they pull people out of their houses with no warrants at gunpoint with literally looking like we're in downtown Iraq. Yep, exactly. And, and all of that, Ross, all of that, did they find him? They did not find him. They did not. What found him? Some slob going out for a cigarette. After the community, after all of the feds had left, right, or had let the let the people come out, and the people figured it out, didn't they? Yep. Yep. Wow, what a novel concept! Connect all these dots. Right. Right. And this, and you can apply this same analogy, this same anecdotal across the board. I mean, Ron Ron Paul talked about well. If healthcare isn't mandatory, who's going to help pay for it? And it, Ron Paul said churches, local volunteer organizations, they will find a way to step it up. You're seeing a lot of corporations donating money to the Hurricane Harvey cause. I saw that Floyd Mayweather was giving tens of millions of dollars today. The number's still being confirmed. I saw as high as $200 million. I don't think that's legit. But the man is offering money. I mean, private donations, private enterprise steps in. Don't rely on government to take care of business. They will not do it. That's right. You know, they're talking about now, and think of this, if you take this approach in every facet of life, then you are a true libertarian. So now we're talking about contracting out um, military work in Afghanistan. Before the Trump, you know, troop surge, which I, I am adamantly against, there was ideas to get private contractors in there. Um, Eric Prince's company, I forget the name of it, but, uh, you know, they, they're the ones, you know, you want, the new way is to get private companies to go in and get your job done for you. Because you don't have to rely on a big government bureaucratic infrastructure to do it for you. So instead of having huge military troops on the ground, blah, 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 where the Pentagon is spending millions to, for each missile launch. Now you're getting tactical hit teams, private enterprises to go in and do it for you. You want to take out Kim Jong-un, which is likely what we're going to do instead of a ground war? Um, you're going to hire Eric Prince's company to do it for you. You're going to hire a private contractor to take them out. We're not going to do boots on the ground. Like you said earlier, Steve, Drones are the new way of doing things. Boots on the ground is not how we're going to do things. It's too expensive. We don't have the money to maintain it. So that approach is what's going to get us fixed. Going the private enterprise, going the free market capitalist way of doing things, getting government the hell out of the way, getting FEMA to still be adding value, and that's the thing. A lot of libertarians are, are yelled at because they, they, they're they're being framed as people wanting to get rid of anything and everything government. No, there needs to be a safety net for government and let government, federal government, take orders from town, county, city, state level where they go in line and say, I am here to help you. I'm from FEMA. Tell me where to go. I don't call the shots, but I'm a resource for you. You are the subject matter expert. You are the ones in Houston who know exactly where neighborhoods are going to be cooped up, where people are going to be at risk, where there are nursing homes. FEMA's not going to know that. Trump sure as hell isn't going to know that. It's not his problem to know that. But the city's going to know what to do. The local towns are going to know what to do. 
And that's how it works. And you're seeing it play out in front of your very eyes with Hurricane Harvey. So it's kind of a microcosm. I'm going to go on record about something that you said, which is a very libertarian view, and they are doing this, and they have, especially with the military. Yep. And I don't know what to call this, especially for me and how I swear this, but I am 100% against the privatization of the military. I think it's one of the most dangerous things in the world. I truly believe, you know, kind of like uh, Sparta, you know, in ancient Greece. Yeah. I truly believe that when a nation goes to war, you you, you need to have its private citizens, everybody's involved, because that's how serious a decision is. It, it leads to too many complications and conflicts of interest when you have a small, consolidated group of people in power that can have a private military go in and do their bidding without necessarily the public that's paying them and who they work for them actually knowing about it or having anything to do with it, feeling no pain, nothing to it. And, I, and, and, and we've written books about that, and, and, and I've, I've read about it, and I truly and wholeheartedly believe it. So if we make a decision to go to war, no matter what it is, it's it for, for a healthy republic uh, to stay healthy, you know, kind of looking back to ancient Greece in, in the way that they did it. I, again, I truly believe that you need the free citizenry to be the people who volunteer to go. Interesting. So I think we're going to have a – we. I think we kind of differ there. So I – I guess I'm I'm for and this is an awesome pivot. This was not discussed previously. I would say as far as troops on the ground, air force, naval, fine, agreed. Citizenry has to do it because that's the big commitment. That's a big show of force. It's expensive. The taxpayer pays for it. I want them to have some say. As it relates to specific operations, uh you know, maybe we want to take out Kim Jong-un. Instead of going into a war that's going to cost us a trillion dollars, why don't we hire Blackwater? That's the company that Eric Prince started. Why don't we have Blackwater go in, take him out for, you know, pay them $5 million, $10 million. A crew of 100 goes in and takes him out, in and out, and they're done. As opposed to... $3 billion of U.S. forces going in and all of the shit that hits the fan after and, you know, all this other stuff. So that's a good, that's an interesting debate point. I don't know. Well, even I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. It's very simple. It shouldn't be a debate it's because it's just like anything. When the U.S. goes to war, the U.S. is going to war with our constitution, our ideals, the way that we deal and people look at us and how we deal with prisoners of war who, you know, when we had when we had Nazi POW camps up in Maine in a, in a bunch of places across the country at the end of the war, when we let those guys go, they didn't want to go home because we have, over here treated Nazis, we yep. treated real fucking Nazis with more respect then the German army treated them. Yep. They did not want to go back to their homeland. They wanted to stay here. Think of that. Yeah, that's... How, how valuable that is. So when you go to war and the U.S. goes to war, those are the ideals that we should be going to war with, not some private corporation that when you sign that off, they can go in and they, there's no there's no tie back to that constitution. You ah, that's that? true. That's true. That that's a good point. That's a good point. Right, waterboarding, torture, whatever it is, it's now all open season, and it's not technically in our, it's not technically tied to us, and that's my problem. 
Ah, okay. It's the biggest it's the biggest decision that we can make as a nation to send our people, our own people into harm's way and to go kill other people. It's horrible. Interesting. I hadn't seen it from that angle. That's true. That's very true. If you violate, so a true libertarian is bound by the Constitution. If the Constitution is taken out of the equation, you're now just a mercenary who just takes paychecks from people. That's it, Ross. You said it. That's it. It becomes a mercenary type situation. It's everything against what we stand for. Interesting. Interesting. Very good point. And, it's, and not important, it's not important to our freedom and our way of life, right? Whatever the conflict is, you will have volunteers that will go and do that. Again, we'll go look at ancient Greece as the blueprint. Yeah, that's true. And, and I wonder if that's why ultimately, and Trump's no libertarian, but maybe, maybe that's why Trump ultimately said, okay, we'll do this troop surge. Four to five thousand troops. We're already there. Operation Protect the Poppy Fields. We're not going to have private contractors go in and take out these terrorists. It, you know, it's no, all. That was a that was a Bush uh, Obama thing. Uh, what was the the use of private military in, at war in Afghanistan and Iraq? Interesting. Interesting. So dare I say? Obama and Bush were no different as far as a lot of their foreign policy. Let's throw a little history here. I'm going to give everybody a little history lesson. So, Vietnam, for everything that people learned about it, the worst thing for the worst thing to see, and I get goosebumps thinking about this, right? If you appreciate what a soldier is and what they sign up for to defend our Constitution and, and how important that is and putting the life on the line, it's like, it's legendary. I don't care what your reasons are, if you want to go kill people, whatever. It's like, I appreciate that, right? Because I'm not the one running to do it, and I appreciate what I do and the values that I can because I've been and seen other places in the world where people can't do what we do. They just can't. They yeah. don't have the, the mechanisms. They don't have that freedom, and it's not guaranteed to them, you know, in, in by a, a, a beautiful document like the ones we have. Right? Yep. yep. So, hold on. Where was I going with this? I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> you were giving a history lesson. Ross, keep me on track. <laughs> you were giving a history lesson, Vietnam. Oh, so, you know, the saddest thing, with all that being said, I would say that Family Feud, the top one or two answers on the board, if you can appreciate all the things I just said, is to watch these GIs come home and they had no idea, like, they, they were drafted, right? They were fucking told they had to go there. A lot of them didn't volunteer at this point. Yeah. Right? So they come home and they get spit on by our, our, our fellow Americans. They yep. get fucking spit on because that war was so horrible and it was so, right, it was so... It was so, you know, protested and, you know, over here. So somebody that we all know named Colin Powell, who saw all this, he said, never again, never again will we not go into war all as a country, right? And it was like a major thing that, that we saw, which then led to the whole build up into the 90s with the Gulf, the Gulf War. And that was that ridiculous show of multi-million, probably a billion dollars into the desert for nothing. Right? Yep. To chase some, some country out from another country that really was no threat. Right. Right. Right? But that was important because if you remember, and we are proud to be an American, right? They, they really emboldened that. It was like the country's at war. We're all at war. We all feel it. 
Yep. Yep. And ever since then, right? Since George Jr. got in and Bush and, and Obama got in, they've they've moved over to that privatized, not so public, right? Because of the horrible things you saw at uh, at, at Abu Ghraib, right? With the pictures, and that was really bad PR for the military, right? So we need more effective professional soldiers. We don't like having these you know, grunts running in downtown Baghdad and getting blown up, right? It's just really bad PR. So that kind of led this over there. But now what does that do? We're in perpetual war in Afghanistan. Everybody's over here in the country, and it's it's almost the same thing, right? And we're we're gonna get to that point where we're so detached that it's just like, well, war is war. Oh, of course we're over in Afghanistan. Right. We're sixteen years in. Yeah. And have we have we what have what have we gotten out of the deal? Day to day, like it doesn't even like it's just a thing. Like it's part, it, and that's so fucked up, right? Like the fact that like, that's another fucked up part of America is that we just live our day to day, and that's just a normal thing that we're at war in Afghanistan and Iraq. Like, yeah, of course we are. But we we do that forever. Like, and, how is that not more of a problem? And, and what and what was it that McCain said ten fifteen years ago? He said his policy is to keep people in Iraq and the Middle East for seventy five to one hundred years. I mean, what an unbelievable statement. That so, in light of everything that we just said earlier, um, about unfunded liabilities and where is our money going, and raising taxes but not cutting, uh, what does this tell you when we're all just kind of like shrugging our shoulders, saying, "Yeah, okay, no, I get it. Afghanistan, Iraq, Libya, we overthrew Egypt, Tunisia, Yemen." Um, we're going to throw money, more money at Saudi Arabia to help fight the battles over there against ISIS. We're going to fight ISIS in Syria. We're going to keep throwing money around. John McCain says more troops. Let's do more troops. Oh, okay. War in, war in North Korea. Mike Pence the other day said, let's go into Venezuela as well. I mean, where does the money come from? Who is funding this? And And, and all of this stuff is... Above and beyond what we're saying is going to be the cost for unfunded liabilities and our our annual deficit, which together makes a debt. I mean, this is where Americans have to get get smart, get hip. So that's why when Trump says, I don't want to be an interventionist, it resonated with people. Right? That's why when people say Obama and Bush were neocons, it's true. Obama ran on peace. He did everything but keep the peace. Um, and finally, we have a guy like Trump that, you know, say what you will about him, but he's not your typical thinker about the Middle East. Uh, he's not your typical neocon. He's not a neocon. He's not your typical keep the ball within the 40-yard lines uh, when it relates to our economy. He's well, different. I I want to believe that he's not a neocon. I want to. Right? Same here. Same here. Exactly. But, but he, he loves surrounding himself with military people undeniably. He and does. That, to me, is a little, you know, throw caution to the wind. It is. So he's surrounded by Mattis. So I, I like to do like a mental checklist on how I rate these people each day. So Mattis and Tillerson so far get good marks. I think Tillerson's out soon. Uh, which we can talk about Thursday. Um, Why is Tillerson 
I, give a little preview of that. He's starting to get on Trump's nerves. He's starting to distance himself from statements. Um, he is, I think he's a very low-energy Secretary of State. I like the fact that he's not a neocon. In other words, when you bring in a guy from corporate America, they're not guns-blazing types. They're businessmen. I will take right. a businessman over a warmonger any day of the week. So that's why I gave Tillerson a lot of latitude. Um, you know, I think Nikki Haley is going to replace him as Secretary of State, and she's more of a neocon. She's an establishment politician, used to be the governor of, I think it was North Carolina or South Carolina, I forget. But she's more of a neocon. And we saw that just because someone's a female running a state department or having NSA clearance and directorship, whatever, women can be just as violent as men when it comes to U.S. policy. So I'm concerned that Tillerson is very low energy, but he's not neocon, will get replaced by a high energy Nikki Haley, who is a neocon. Yeah, and that's, you look at Hillary. She's one of the biggest out there. Of course she is. That's why she was such a disaster. Look at Condi Rice. I mean, I, I liked her for some time, um, but Condi Rice was a neocon. Look at uh, Susan Rice. Susan Rice, the NSA head. She was a neocon. Uh, you look at some of the people in the State Department. They were neocons. Um, so, so, so... You know, I think with, with Tillerson, okay, he's not a general, but he's not a neocon either. Mattis, I love. He's the operations guy. We said this last time. He's the operations guy. I love Mattis. He'll do what he's told, but he'll he'll stick up. I think he's 50-50 for whether he wants to be a neocon or not. Uh, general Kelly, who might be neocon light. Um, and then you have, finally, General McMaster, who is the uber neocon. So now the, gener the generals that we love on paper... Um, are advising Trump, and I think uh, they're all some element of neocon to them. Ironically enough, the anti-neocon was Mike Flynn. And we've talked about this before. Mike Flynn was the anti-neocon. He didn't like being Syria's uh, Air Force. He didn't like being the one funding ISIS to overthrow Assad. He was the first one. He's a Democrat that said, fuck you, Obama. I'm out. Trump loved him. He was one of the first generals to endorse Trump. But he's gone now over the fake Russia crap. And here we are with McMaster. So when, when you and I try to, Steve, put, uh, piece together a, a an idea of why the deep state sucks, why the establishment sucks, it's unfolding before your eyes. When a guy like Flynn gets demonized for doing nothing wrong, um, you know there's a bigger plot afoot. You know that his replacement is an establishment H.R. McMaster, who is the protege of General David Petraeus, another neocon who goes to Bilderberger meeting every single year and gets all the war talking points. And his, his clearance has been revoked because of the leaking uh, with his mistress, but he's the guy that all the neocons love. So all that together as a backdrop, you can see that Trump is surrounded by generals, which is great because they'll prevent a coup, but they're neocon generals, which means they're big into war. That's right. So where does that all go? And it's just something to keep an eye on. When you look at all of the people serving Trump, 
Look at the ones that are in the best interest of the American people who are so sick of war. They're so war fatigued. They don't want any shit in North Korea. They don't want any more shit in Syria, in Libya, in Iraq, in Iran, in Egypt, in Tunisia, in Yemen, uh, in Somalia, in the Sudan, in Venezuela. Um, they don't want any of that. Let these people figure it out on their own. Let them figure it on your own. Each country you go into guarantees me, the taxpayer, of about $10 billion a year in expenditure. And I don't have the money for it. I don't yeah, have the money. Too. We don't have the money. As we just laid out, we don't have the money for it. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing I hate more than someone that complains about a situation and a problem we have. But when solutions are given and suggestions are given, they don't take it. They don't want to embrace Trump Trumpism, which is lower corporate rates, which is uh, bilateral trade agreements, not multilateral, um, strong borders. Everything that Trump stands for is to help reinstitute the American taxpayer as a solvent entity. Uh, bring back America as a nation where people want to do business, where corporations want to flock to, um, where they want to manufacture again and produce again, instead of just doing service industry. And I mean, our our big our big export to the world now is oh, we're great at high frequency trading on the stock market. You know, I was talking with a colleague today at work about this, and about sixty five percent of the stock market you see is high-frequency trading, where it's all algorithms and computers and AI doing it. It's not, it's not stockbrokers and ticker tapes from the 1980s where they're screaming out orders. It's all computers now. And of the 60-65% that is not, uh, you know, if 60% if is high-frequency trading, 40% is left over. Well, 25% of that is institutions for 401ks. Uh, some of it's, uh, uh, you, know, um, you know, some of it's the corporations buying back their stock. And then what's left? 10 to 15% is left for John Q. Public, Joe, Joe Sixpack, in his day trading brokerage account. So, so things have changed in the last 30 years. And Trump's trying to fix that. Right. It's not feasible to do that for the American public. Right. Right. So... Um, so, okay, how about this? It's, we're about an hour and 15 in. Can, can we, this was a good focus on the economy. I think it's something that, Steve, you and I should do more often. Instead of just covering the headlines of the week and where it's going, we want to telegraph and, and, and show where the economy's going and what Trump's doing. This is one of the episodes where we actually take it to Trump because we see he's been co-opted by some of the evil forces that don't want the economy doing well, that don't want us to be at peace with our neighbors, right? That's right. So maybe we come back on Thursday and talk about some of the other stuff going on. By then, Harvey will have completed, God willing, no more rain. Um, oh, geez, it's horrible over there, isn't it? It's ghastly. It's about 50 to 60 inches of rain at this point. There are levees breaking every hour. There are reservoirs that are overrunning. There are looters that are now taking TVs. There are now looters that are shooting at people in boats. Um, it's disgusting over there. So we, we'll have an update on Thursday about uh, Hurricane Harvey. Uh, we want to talk about how our prediction about Antifa has become 100% true. We see it going exactly 
where we called it was going to go two weeks ago. And then I guess, you know, Steve, if you want, we can cover Sheriff Joe. We can cover what's happening at the State Department before it happens. It's pretty wide open, but I think we'll have a good list of checklist items for Thursday. So why don't we call it a night? I'm going to go pee and watch wrestling. Um, and then we will touch base again on Thursday with an update on how the week's going and where we're going next. But you brought it to the table, Steve. A lot of our predictions are coming true. We're going to have to, like, get on a website or something, Ross. Yeah, maybe a website where we, we talk to people in India to get a website going. That would be brilliant. That would be brilliant. And then maybe, like, an iTunes account. And a super hyperactive Twitter account. I love it. Oh my god, the possibilities are endless. And maybe a Facebook page. Ooh, I like that. I like it. Stay tuned, folks. Uh, we're just getting warmed up. So on that note, we will publish this for Wednesday. And we will hopefully talk Thursday or Friday. Yes. Alright, we will talk soon. Take care, everybody. Take care until next time. Bye-bye.